If you want to be turning your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Matthew. Um, we'll look at chapter 16. We'll look at a message based off of a question that Jesus asked. I want to bring a message entitled, Who is Christ to You? I said, I want to bring a message entitled, Who is Christ to You? If I were to come to each one of you now and were to ask you, Who is Christ? You would all have your answers. He is the Son of the living God. He is born of a Virgin Mary. He is my Redeemer. He is my best friend. He is wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. He he is the one who redeemed us. He's the one who purchased our soul at Calvary's cross. He's the one that shed his blood so that a sinner like me doesn't have to go to the hell that I deserve to go to. Uh, he, he's the one who wrote my name down in the Lamb's book of life. We would have all of our answers about who Jesus is as long as we're in the church. If you were to be asked by a church friend somewhere in a private setting, we might have the same answers about who Christ is. But can I tell you that what your lips say about who Christ is isn't nearly as important as what your life says about who Christ is. The people that look at us, we claim to be Christians, we go to work, we go to school, we go to the places and we claim to be Christians, then those who look at us, what they see in us, that is what Christ is to them. If we claim to be Christians and we claim to live a godly life, then to those that are unchurched and they look at the way that we live our lives, then that is Christianity to them. So more importantly than asking you, what if I were to go ask those around us? I don't like saying you. It's all about us in this little. If we were to ask those around us, when you look at their life, what do you see Christ is being. We um Matthew chapter 16. I want to look at who is Christ to you. I got too many places marked in here. Matthew chapter 16. Verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said unto him, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this precious book that you've given us. God, I pray right now, Lord, Pray you'd move in this place among your children. God, I pray you'd anoint everybody in this place, God. I pray you'd touch each heart. I pray you'd speak to each mind. I pray you'd help each one of us, God. I pray you'd convict hearts where we need to be convicted. Shape us where we need to be shaping. Change us where we need to be changed. Mold us where we need to be made different, God. I pray this morning, would you speak to each one of us in this place and help us that when we walk out of here, we might walk a closer walk with you, God, that when the world sees us, they might see the image of Christ in us, God, that they might see Christ through us, Lord. I pray you'd do something to change us and make us a better people this morning, God. We're a work in progress. Thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, Jesus and the disciples here in this text, they, they've been at Galilee. They just come from Galilee where people literally flocked by the thousands to come to hear and to see this man, Jesus of Nazareth. The disciples have been out among the people. They've heard what the people have to say. They've formed a lot of opinions. They've heard a lot of diverse opinions about what people had to say about who Jesus is. They had collected their own data and they had formed this, this little assortment. And what they found out was that the people, when asked the question, who is this man, Jesus of Nazareth, what they found out is that the people were divided. What we find out over 2,000 years later is that things haven't changed. People still can't agree on who Jesus Christ is. You think about some of the opinions that, that people had then and some of the opinions that people have now. Back in the day when the Word of God is written, the Bible says here that the disciples answered, some say that he's John the Baptist. Now that was a little bit weird to me since they both lived at the same time. But they did both preach the message of repentance, the gospel of repentance. But they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. They said, some say that you're Elias. That would have been Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet was held to be the greatest prophet of, of old back in their day. As a matter of fact, they, they still herald him to be as the greatest prophet. They had a little bit of scripture they might could have used on that because the Old Testament does talk about a couple of great prophets that are going to come back. But that doesn't happen until after the rapture. As a matter of fact, it happens in the final part of the tribulation period that two great prophets of old are going to come back. And they're probably right. And I believe Elijah might be one of those two. Um, I believe Enoch's probably the other one. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I just believe that because Hebrews 9 says, It's appointed unto man wants to die. And neither one of those two men have died yet. Elijah was carried up in a whirlwind and chariot of fire. Enoch walked with God and was not. So, I mean, that's, I'm sorry. That's just all free. But there's a possibility. But that's not who Jesus Christ was. The Jewish people herald Elijah as being one of the greatest prophets, probably the greatest prophet, even today at the Jewish Sedar. That is a, it's a Sedar, S-E-D-E-R. It's a Jewish holiday. It's what they do. It's the beginning of the holiday. was called the Passover. It comes on the 15th day of the month of Nisan on the Jewish calendar. That would be in our spring months, around our April and May period. But they still hold this feast. And even at the feast, they still keep an empty chair at the table. In honor of Elijah. The Bible says there that some say he was Jeremiah, the weeping prophet returned. But then others say he was one of the prophets. He was just a prophet, a, a great prophet, one of the many. Well, if you were to look in today's society here in 2019 and you were to ask Islam, who is Jesus, they will tell you he was a prophet. He was one of the prophets of old, no different than any of the other prophets. If you were to ask Jehovah's Witness the next time they come knocking on your front door, you can really mess them up if you'll ask them, who is Jesus Christ to you? Now, in their defense, they may not want to answer that because they understand as long as they talk about the Bible and church and that stuff, they're reeling you in and, and you think you're talking about the same God and you're on the same page. But when it comes to the testimony of who is the Lord Jesus Christ, you're 100% divided. I'll just give you a little bit of their opinion just in case they won't. They say that Jesus is the first created being of God. And after God created Jesus, they, he used him to help him build everything else. They say that God is not a trinity and that the true followers of God can only be known by their worship. They believe that you have to work to obtain the right to go to heaven. And if somebody outworks you, they'll get your spot. 
Y'all do understand that of the true Jehovah's Witness, the Bible talks about the 144,000 Jews that were preached during the tribulation period. That would be a true Jehovah's Witness, not this joke from Charles Russell Taze, Charles Taze Russell, not the garbage of that stuff today. There is 144,000 Jewish male virgins that will preach during the seven-year period, but it ain't these cats today that call themselves Jehovah's Witness. Matter of fact, they say there's over 6 million of them, but only 144,000 of them are going to get to go to heaven. They do pull that little part out of the Bible. So what that means is you may work hard enough to earn your spot, but if you don't keep working, you don't know why they're so adamant about knocking on your front door. They think that's all that's going to get them to heaven. You don't know why they're so adamant about preaching and teaching and going out and trying to get somebody else. They think the more people they get to come to church, that's what's going to get them to heaven. They think they got to work their way in, and if somebody outworks them, then they could lose their spot. They believe that Jesus was raised from the dead but not in a real body, but in a spirit being. They believe that the second coming of Christ is an invisible spiritual presence that began in 1914. This is out of their own books. The, the dead exist only in the memory of God. There's no such thing as hell or as torment. God would never torment anybody for rejecting him or any part of it. God would just simply let them die, and that's the end of it, and they only live in the memory of God. If you ask a Mormon who Jesus is, that's the ones that will invite you to church, but it's called the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So just because somebody invites you to church, don't get all warm, fuzzy, and holy up in that stuff. They'll tell you that the Bible is the Word of God in as far as it is translated, but it's not the only Word of God. You have to have three other books. There's three other sacred books. Now, what would you expect the other sacred book to be first and foremost? Of course, the Book of the Mormons. You've got to have that you got to have their own law from their own founder, the one that put it together. And then they have a book called Doctrine and Covenants and then a book called The Pearl of Great Price. They call those sacred books. Those four books together create the Bible. They say that the earth is only one of several inhabited planets that are, that are ruled over by gods and goddesses that were at one time men. Here's your answer to who Jesus is to them. The Trinity is three different gods born at three different times. The Father begot the Son and the Holy Ghost through one of his goddess wives in heaven. Mankind is the same species of God because we're all the offspring of God through his goddess wives in heaven. And we've been sent to one of the earths in order to earn our potential exaltation to the Godhead or to being a God. Eternal life or exaltation to the Godhead is something that must be earned through your self-meriting works. Look, I can't make this stuff up. I'm not that smart. This is right out of their own books. This is the people that live around you. This is the people that work around you. This is people that go to schools around you. This is people in your community that will invite you to church. Let me tell you while they're busy being wrong about who Jesus was. Let me tell you in the words of Peter who Jesus is. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So even in our own society, one of the greatest challenges that believers face is how people answer the question, who is Jesus? You know what's crazy to me? We live in a world today where the words of men means more than the words of God. We live in a world where people will listen to the words that men have to say more than they listen to what God has to say. They'll listen to the opinions of men, but they won't listen to the, to the testimony of a believer in Christ. We live in a world that is more in tune with Hollywood than it is the Word of God. Talk shows, 
reality television tops the charts on things that people like to watch. This media-crazed society that we live in, people are more interested in hearing a movie star's opinion about who God is than they are by hearing what God says about who God is. Since God is the one that is without beginning, without end, he's the only one that knows it all, I just assume stay with what God knows. People care more about what a television celebrity says. The desire to hear what men say and the disregard to hear what God says creates great problems in a society. Number one, it causes people to compromise. Today, one of the mainstream thoughts coming from Hollywood is that of pluralism. Pluralism says that we'll all get to the same place. We're just taking different routes to get there. Well, that might be true right after church. If we're all going to a restaurant in town, we might go a different way to get there. But when you're talking about the eternal presence of God Almighty, there's one way. Pluralism says that we're all going to the same place. We're just taking different routes. Popular opinion wants to believe that. Because that way they believe that they can do whatever they want to do and still get them to whatever they consider heaven to be. I've told you several times about what Oprah Winfrey said about how to get to heaven. I want to let you may have seen it for yourself, but I want you to understand what Hollywood is putting out. I want you to understand the garbage that's coming down the pike. And I want you to understand that people will listen to them because they're worth millions of dollars and they give millions of dollars away in charity. The reason they're giving millions in charity is because they think they're buying their way into heaven. I'm sorry, but the price is more than they can afford. The price was the cost of the life of the only begotten Son of God and His blood. They could not pay that price. They cannot repay the price. It's Jesus Christ, and no other price will do. But I want, I want you to do it. Yeah, that video, did you ever get that word where to play? This, this is what comes out of Hollywood is how you can get to heaven. One way or many. A panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us. That we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And, and that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute definitely. Yeah. Now, now Marianne uh, Williams says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, it, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway, uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be then a human how do being you please and, God? and many ways no but many paths no to what you call God that and her crazy. path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her if it brings her to the same point that it brings you it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not and I guess the danger that could be on that I mean it's it sounds great on the onset but if you really look at both sides I there could couldn't possibly be just one way what what about Jesus what about Jesus there is one way. 
one way and only one way, and there that is through be. Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with because a million you of people say in the there world. isn't. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If you no. don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that makes you right. Do you think, do you think that if you, if you are ahead, somewhere on the planet? I've had about all I want of that. That's what I've been telling you about. That's the kind of stuff that comes out of Hollywood. She's not the only one. you got lots of movie stars that are pushing pluralism. That, that there's many ways in. One of the things that I've noticed uh, of looking at their stuff, and especially at Oprah's and reading, I, I've, I've learned that apparently she either reads a lot of books or somebody tells her about a lot of books. And she, she is an intellectual person. She's a smart person. But do you notice how many times she made references to books? I never hear her refer to the only book. She talks about what so-and-so said. She even talked about one. It's a gorilla talking. But, but she never refers back to what God says. Well, I was thinking just this morning what God said in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse number 8. Remember this and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. We live in a world where Christianity wants to back down. Christians don't want to be <clears throat> labeled, so they just keep their mouths shut. Even churches, pulpits, Preachers in our own country are backing off of the theological truths of the Word of God in an effort to try to get people to come to their churches, in an effort to try to get people to stay because if they leave, they might take their tithe with them. i got to be honest with you. If they're not following the Word of God, they probably ain't tithing anyway. Preachers won't preach on the truth and the certainty of hell to those who reject Christ. They will stand accountable. We're called a watchman, and for a preacher who does not preach on the certainty of hell to those who reject Christ, they will be held accountable. They won't preach on the judgment of God. They won't preach on the wrath of God. They won't preach on the fact that God is the absolute sole authority and that what God's Word says is all that matters. Pluralistic compromise results when men pay more attention to what men say than what God says. But then we have this modern-day issue of political correctness. You know, we've got to make everybody happy, right? <clears throat> in order to be <clears throat> politically correct in our modern-day society, you would have to voice something called inclusivism. What inclusivism says is that everybody is going to heaven. Jesus has already died for everybody. And because Jesus died for everybody, therefore everybody is going to heaven. That's called pulling out the parts you want and throwing away the rest of it. Using what sounds favorable and leaving out the rest. They're saying that it doesn't matter whether or not you have faith in Christ. That's irrelevant. They're saying it doesn't matter if you've confessed your sins and asked the Lord to save you. That's irrelevant. Acts chapter 16. The apostle Paul there with that Philippian jailer. Y'all know the story. And they broke open and the jailer was going to kill himself. Paul said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. The Philippian jailer asked Paul a question. What must I do to be saved? 
Had Paul been pluralistic, he would have said, just do what feels good, my brother. Whatever feels right to you, just do it. It'll lead you to your place. It'll lead you to your little land. Had, had Paul been an inclusivist, he would have said, just do whatever you want to, brother. It don't matter. Jesus has already died. Everybody's going to go to heaven anyway. It doesn't make any difference. Had Paul been politically correct, he might have said, well, you need to do whatever the king does. You need to go with popular opinion. Whatever the public opinion is, you need to stay in the mainstream of public opinion. But because Paul was a Christian and because Paul was called of the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the gospel, the truth, the unrelented, unbiased truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Why should... You and I as believers, the redeemed, purchased, we're on our way to heaven. Why should we be worried about the other views? Well, because any view that's not God's view is the devil's view. It's the world's view. And that view is sending people to hell every single minute of every single day. Pluralism is the opposite of what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if we were to believe that there's many ways that, that you can get to heaven and we're all just taking different roads to get there, then somebody would have to explain to me why in God's Word, God thought it important to give us the doctrine of the virgin birth. Somebody would have to explain to me why Jesus Christ had to live a sinless, perfect life. I said it a couple of Wednesday nights ago. If Jesus hadn't been sinless, then when he died, he would have died for his own sins, and that would have been the end of it. And you and I would still be on our way to hell. If everybody's going and they're just going by different ways, then why did God bother to elaborate here on Christ's role as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice? If any old way will get you there. If everybody's going by different ways, then why does Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 say, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. On the other hand, inclusivism, it affects how people act. If everybody's going to go to heaven anyway, why does it matter how you act? Why does it matter whether or not you love people? Why does it matter how you treat those around you? Why does it matter how you live? If they're all going to heaven anyway, why would I need to go to church? Why would I need to serve God? Why would I need to pray? Why would I need to study God's Bible? Why would I need to live a life pleasing to Christ? If we're all going anyway, I mean, if we're all going anyway, why do I need to preach? Why do I need to try to tell people about Christ? Why do I need to tell people about there's a hell? Because that theory is a lie. It is of the devil. It is of the world. And it's being spread by the devil. The psalmist said of the word of God, that thou hast magnified thy word. Well, what the word says in Romans 10, 13, is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him who they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. They have not obeyed. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We're living in a world that people are more concerned about what people say 
than they are about what God commands. Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? So the disciples answered the question. But then Jesus moves on to the real heart of the issue. Never mind all that. Forget about that. Who do you say that I am? We, we've talked about people. You've heard opinions. But, but I'm asking you, who do you say? There, there are some Christians. And I would like to think this group includes everybody in this building. Who live according to the word of God. They have convictions of the word of God. And they live according to those convictions. But then you have those who live according to public opinion. Not casting any stones or calling any names, just telling you the reality of it. There, there are pulpits and, and preachers who are preaching the same way. Those who lead according to public census, they may ask a friend, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about preaching this Sunday. What do you think people will think about that? How do you think they'll receive it? Those who preach according to public opinion may want to talk to their friends in the congregation a couple days after preaching. Hey, man, what are people saying? What do people think about that? Those who preach according to public census may want to watch the news and watch the talk shows, and they get an idea of what public census is. They get the public opinion before they preach, before they decide on where they're going to stand, and then whichever side public opinion leans, that's the way they're going to go because they want people to come to church where they preach. They're not as concerned about preaching the truth of the Word of God even though they know it. One of the reasons we're in the shape we're in is because the pulpits remain silent of preaching the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That sinners are going to die and go to hell. But it's for no reason. You don't have to. The price is paid. Jesus Christ has already purchased my soul, but the gift must be received. Those who say everybody goes are saying, God gave me a gift and I never opened it, but it's mine anyway. No, it's not. You have to open the gift before it's yours. You don't know what's in it till you've received it and opened it. Those who preach and teach from convictions, they know that what they're preaching is God's holy word. And if you believe with all your heart that you are called of God to preach the gospel and you believe that that is God's inerrant, infallible word, then you have no right to alter it. You have no right to water it down. You have no right to change it. You have no right to soften it. Your job is to preach the two-edged sword and let it work as it will, according to God's word. Those who lead based on public opinions help people do what they want to do. Those who lead based on convictions of the word of God will help people do what they need to do. It is on this very point that Jesus took the disciples. He took them away from the crowds there at Galilee. He took them and he carried them up 25 miles away. He carries them up to Caesarea Philippi, so at the base of Mount Hermon, at the headwaters of the Jordan River. And he sets them down there in a conversation. And he says, tell me, who do men say that I am? See, Jesus already knew the answer to that question. It wasn't for Jesus, it was for them. It wasn't for Jesus, it was for myself and for you. It was for us. Jesus already knows things. Everything he does is for the benefit of somebody else. But then he asked the second question. In the second question, all of the emphasis is placed on this one singular pronoun, you. All the emphasis is on you. Nothing else matters, nothing before, nothing since. All the emphasis is right here. Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? The bottom line is that is a question that every human being born of a woman will answer. 
Romans 14, 11, for it is as it is written, or for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In this society that we live in today, to stand firm and say, Thus saith the Lord, I will not waver, I will not bend. This is what God says. I'll preach the truth. I will not change it. To do that in front of today's world is about like standing in front of a truck and mocking the driver. It's about like standing in front of one of them big old bulls with the horns with a red cape and just daring him to come at you. In this society that we're in, when we state the facts that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way, when we state the facts that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, we set ourselves up for criticism. We set ourselves up for the attacks of the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's funny, it's funny to me in our society that when we stand on the truth, we're accused of being narrow-minded. Anybody know that? When we say, thus saith the Lord from in the beginning to amen is the absolute truth and nothing else matters outside the word of God. When we say this is it, when we say there's only one way to heaven, when we say that we're a child of God because of Jesus Christ, when we claim that this is the absolute, we're accused of being narrow-minded. You know what's amazing to me about that? Is they believe in math, and math is narrow-minded. Two plus two is four. Argue that with me. Five plus five is ten. It's not 9.9. It's not 10.1. Five plus five is ten. You can't argue that. It's narrow-minded. You, you, you can't change this way. Science is narrow-minded. Water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Anybody want to argue that? It takes a man and a woman to reproduce. Anybody want to argue that one? Gestation period of a woman is 40 weeks. You want to argue? Gestation period of a dog is eight weeks. You want to argue that? Gestation period of a white-tailed deer, Odicolius virginianus, 201 days. Anybody want to argue that? It is scientific fact. It's narrow-minded. Geography is narrow-minded. North is north. Anybody want to argue that? It's not slightly here, slightly there. Due north is due north. You go to the west, you have the Chattahoochee River. runs from north to south. On one side of it is Georgia. On the other side of it right over here is Alabama. Anybody want to argue that? That's called narrow-minded. It doesn't change. History is narrow-minded. George Washington's the first president of the United States of America. Anybody want to argue that one? We celebrate our freedom from July 4th. Anybody want to, anybody want to argue? Anybody want to change 1776? Anybody want to change the date? Why, why do we not want to argue? Everything else is so narrow for debate. Then why in the world would it be considered narrow-minded that God's people choose to stand and call theology narrow-mindedness? We live in a world of narrow-mindedness. We live in a world of absolutes. The things that God made are absolute, and they do not change, including God who said, I am the Lord, I change it not. God help us. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, y'all know that's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest recording of the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew chapter 7, at the conclusion, the closing statements of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13, he said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, 
For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. See, I don't have to be a judge. I just have to be a fruit inspector. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And we cast out, cast out devils. In thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. Let me just pause right there. It's in thy name that it works. I don't care how close to God you're walking in your name. You can't do diddly. The demons could care less about you. Sickness could care less about you. Marital problems could care less about you. Financial devastation could care less about you. It's in the name of Jesus that every knee must bow. It's in the name of Jesus that demons must flee. It's in the name of Jesus that healing comes into place. So when they say, did we not do these things in the name of Jesus? Yes, they did. But it's the name of Jesus that carried the power. It's the name of Jesus that carries the weight. It's the name of Jesus that carries the authority and not them. So Jesus said to him in verse 23, I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which has built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at this doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, not as one of the scribes. In this day of Jesus, there were many who rejected the truth. There were many who stated that Jesus was someone other than the only begotten Son of God. The only one born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, sent by God to redeem fallen man. There were those who laughed at the Christians, mocked them, made fun, abused them. Many of them were even murdered. But those were Christians who would not be deterred from telling the truth. They would stand firmly on the truth and say, Thus saith the Lord. And because of that, over 2,000 years later, the gospel has been handed down from generation to generation because there were some Christians bold enough to say, Thus saith the Lord. I don't care what mainstream has to say. Public opinion is irrelevant. Thus saith the Lord is all that matters. So here, here's what Jesus said. Who do men say that I am? They give him the answer, and then he says, Never mind all that. Let's just forget about all that. Let's just set aside public opinion and let me ask you a question. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Those men died a martyr's death because of what they believed. 
Jesus is not asking you to die for him. He's asking you to live for him. He's already died for us so that we can live for him. And what he wants to know is not with flattering words and loose lips in the right group, who do we say that Christ is? But when we get up on Monday morning and go to work and the people around us look at our lives, who does it say Christ is? When you walk into a classroom and you live your life for them, who does it say Christ is? Where you are on Friday night and Saturday night and what you're doing, what does it say that you believe who Christ is? The question leading into 2019 is do we believe it enough to lay down our own lives and live a life pleasing to Christ that he might live through us? What is our lives telling others about who he is? I want to ask if you'd stand with me this morning. I, I, I want to ask you, 2019, could, could we pray in one accord and ask God to help us live a life pleasing to him? Could, could we pray in one accord and ask God to help us live a life that when people see us, they see Christ in us? That they see Christ through us. You, you want to know one of the number one ways that people see the love of Christ in us? People see the love of Christ through us? By, by this. Shall all men know that ye are my disciples? That ye have love one for another. Not that you come to church. Not, not that what you say with your mouth. But by this. Shall all men know that ye are my disciples? That ye have love one for another. You want the world to look at us and see Christ in us? The first thing we got to do is love one another the way that Christ loves us, the way he commanded us to. But the other thing we got to do is we got to love those that are dying and going to hell. Listen, can, can, I, can I just plug in right here? That one that don't look like you, that one that speaks a different language than you, that one that's a different color than you, that one that doesn't dress like you, that one that doesn't act like you. Can I go a little further? That one that is strung out on coke, that one that is strung out on methamphetamines, that one that is throwing up in the gutter this morning because he spent all night drunk. We got to love those people. You got to love them to God. God put us here to love them. And we're never going to win them if we don't love them. We got to let them see Christ in us. You know how they see Christ? Is you do like Jesus did. You go to the sick and the lame and the maimed and you kneel down and you try to be a blessing to them. I just want people to see Christ in us. If I could have heads bowed, eyes closed just for a minute. I want to ask all of you to be praying for a minute. I want to ask you if each one of you in this place, Christians, I'm talking to you. Christians, I want to ask each one of you, you be praying right now that God would help us as Faith Baptist Church and as individuals to love people way we're supposed to to be everything that God wants us to be but, but would you be praying also if there's any in here this morning that's never trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior would you be praying for them because I want to talk to the non-Christian for a minute if you're in here this morning you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior you've never asked Jesus to wash away your sins I'm telling you according to the word of God without Jesus Christ you're going to die and go to hell there's not anything in between. There's not another place. It doesn't just go away. There's heaven and there's hell. There is no other option. And to choose Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, as your Savior, is to choose heaven. To reject Christ is to reject the gift of God. And he says at the final judgment, 
when Satan is cast in the lake of fire, death and hell will go with him. That's, that's everybody who rejects Christ. You can change that this morning. Nobody's here by accident this morning. Nobody just happened to be here this morning. Whatever the circumstances are, whatever it took to get you here in this place, on this day was ordained by God to have you here right now to give you a chance to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask one simple question. I want everybody here listening. Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you know for certain that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? If you know because you trusted Christ and you know you'd go to heaven, will you hold your hand up all over the building, all over the building? If you know that you're saved, you know that you're going to heaven when you die because you trusted Christ, hold your hand up. Thank you all over the building. You can put them down. If you could not raise your hand, you wanted to raise your hand, thought about raising your hand, you'd like to raise your hand, but you just don't know that you know. But you'd like to know. Jesus said that you may know. Would you be willing to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior this morning and ask Him to save your soul? I don't have a magic poem. I don't have a magic prayer. What I have is the Word of God. And He says you have to surrender your heart to Him. You have to start by confession. You have to confess your own sins. Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner? Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And save my soul. In Jesus' name.